Good evening. In one of the recent conversations I had with Pastor, he said the theme of this Lent was reflect, refocus, and renew. This year, I have a different mindset than any Lent I can remember. I have had so many refocus things happen to me, I slid right through to renew. I had a prior engagement on Ash Wednesday evening, so I attended an afternoon service at a different church. My takeaway from that message was, remember when you played games as a kid and messed up and you begged for a do-over? God gives us a do-over every day, and we don't even have to ask for it. What a simple but effective visual of the gospel. Then I heard as part of our Ash Wednesday service, the ashes were washed off. My first response was, yes, I know how this story ends. My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became a living sacrifice to wash us clean. The ashes aren't the whole story. During the pandemic, we discovered YouTube as a great tool to access any speaker or message you want to hear. I had never watched Duck Dynasty, but was intrigued by the Robertson family's I Am Second messages and got one of Phil Robertson's books. His story is a lot like a lot of our stories. He had gone to church with his family as a kid, but the truth of the gospel never sunk in. At one of his lowest points, a pastor showed him this drawing to help him visualize. I have paraphrased the following explanation from the book as it was explained to Phil. God made man for fellowship, but man broke God's law. God never wanted us to be separate from him, so he made a way. The first arrow represents Jesus. God's word became flesh and lived among us. The cross represents the crucifixion. Jesus preached the good news and angered the religious people who had him crucified. The dome represents the tomb. The up arrow reminds us Jesus conquered death and and ascended unto his father. And the last arrow, he is coming back to gather all the people who believe to be with him for eternal, eternity. A really simple graphic, but again, it gave me a lot to think about. The thing that really got my attention was on the first Sunday in Lent, pastor asked the question, what does Jesus mean in your life? Not what has Jesus done in your life, What does he mean to you today? I have one of those brains where there is always a movie playing in my head going back over conversations and interactions I've had. The next day, my brain went back over Pastor's message, and I got to the part where he asks the question, What does Jesus mean to you? And it pulled me up short. What does Jesus mean to me? I was mentally scrolling through my list. Jesus is my God, my Savior, my Father, my brother, my friend, my protector, my confidant, my partner. I could go on and on and on. I have come to the point in my life where he is my everything. 
I had a project, being able to come up with a what-does-Jesus-mean-to-me statement that I can explain if someone asks. I love projects, and my brain is a problem-solving brain. As I was trying to put into words what Jesus means to me, I began comparing my relationship with Jesus with my relationship with humans. The two areas that immediately jumped out to me as being different are trust and taking direction. I am the middle of five girls, and I am truly a middle child. I trust no one. And if you tell me what to do, I was that kid, and I am that adult whose brain will immediately start to process the request and ask why, how, and what if. My brain needs to make sense of everything. When and if it makes sense, or if I have no choice, I will proceed. Otherwise, my brain will start coming up with alternatives to the plan. It was amazing to realize I trust Jesus implicitly. Trust in and of itself is a foreign concept to me. And as far as taking direction from him, I just go. No questions asked. There have been many times God has directed me to do something that makes no sense at the time. I just have to wait and see when and if it will be revealed why I needed to do what I needed to do. If you have spent any amount of time with Paul and I, you know we aren't really a good fit. If I am simmering something, he turns it up because things can't cook unless water is flying out of the pan. If I am building something, I am told things aren't built that way. When he asked my siblings if it was okay to marry me, one of them even said no. Every day is a struggle. But God wants us together. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. We are much better equipped to do the work of God's kingdom together than we are apart. I think God directed us to buy the Coach Light Inn. I look back on that now and wonder, what was I thinking? We both had and intended to keep our full-time jobs, and our lives were already plenty busy. As we look back, was it because one of our regular customers was a truck driver who lived there between loads? He had grown up on the streets of Detroit, and because of things he had seen, he questioned if there really was a God. He and Paul became friends, and they debated Christianity for hours. Before he died, was he converted? The only thing about owning the Coachlight Inn that would make any sense would be that somehow something needed to happen that was part of God's plan. Then there was Paul being let go from Newcap. One of our friends called it logistical grace. God was done with you somewhere and needed you to move. You weren't going to move on your own, so he moved you. Now Paul is in a position where each project lasts about three and a half months, and then he moves to the next project for about three and a half months, and a whole bunch of new people to share the gospel with. Our evening conversations typically center around who he talked Jesus to that day. Was logistical grace 
giving him the ever-changing group to minister to, part of God's plan. There are many more times I believe I was led to do things, but the most recent was a few weeks back when pastor contacted me about preaching the next Sunday. My gut immediately told me no, but that wasn't a decision I would make lightly, so I told him I would let him know by 8 a.m. the next morning. I woke up at my typical time and said to myself, okay, the question on the table is, is there someone who needs to hear what I have to say? Every time I have ever given a message, I knew in my heart someone needed to hear it. Immediately, my brain went blank. No movie playing, no ideas bombarding, nothing. It was like a vacuum. I thought, okay, that is my answer, and I let Pastor know I couldn't. When Paul got up, he asked what I had decided. I told him I wasn't going to preach. He was amazed and confused. He said, you always have messages rolling around. What do you mean you aren't? I told him I didn't think I was supposed to. He said, hmm, I wonder when we will find out why. The next Sunday, when I could have been preaching, we were getting ready for church, and at 10.20 a.m., someone showed up at my door that I needed to be there for. It was too important of a visit, and we didn't make it to church. It only took a few minutes for Paul and my eyes to meet, and we knew each of us was thinking, this is why I couldn't preach. I needed to be here in my house on, at 10.20 a.m., on this Sunday morning. The most amazing aspect of my faith and probably the most freeing and the simplest answer to the question, what does Jesus mean to me, is Jesus knows the plans he has for me. He has seen me at my most vulnerable, and it's okay. He has seen me at my worst, and he still sees me as perfect. He loves me so much, I know he is standing there with his arms spread wide, waiting to celebrate with me or waiting to pick me up when I fall. There is nothing I can do to make him stop loving me. I trust him with my heart and my soul. Where he leads, I will follow. That is what Jesus means to me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again.